Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. And today we're going to be talking about a few of the things that have been happening uh, in the night sky above us for the second week and now third week of March 2016. Pretty cool. This year's moving by so fast. I was going to say, I can't believe March is already halfway over. Yeah, we've already seen like a few different phases of the sky kind of move by us, even since we started doing this podcast, like the whole five planets being up thing that sort of disintegrated those planets have moved apart now. They're in different places. So that's not happening as much anymore. We have other stuff to talk about how the planets have moved here in a little bit, probably toward the end of the podcast, but it's cool to see like, or to just be talking about it and then see how the sky is changing around us. It's it's really strange. Yeah. It's really cool. The more we've been talking about it, the more I, seem to notice it happening to you even though i think i'm paying about the same amount of attention right yeah but you just yeah you start to notice more it's cool it's been cool covering this like right now the sun is in pisces i think that's what's what's going on in march um so that's a helio conjunction i think that's helio no it's just a conjunction helio is when it's in the morning but uh, i think it's yeah, a conjunction with uh, the constellation pisces the two fish i think is what it is yeah I little fish right. and then was aries I can't, remember, I can't remember what April is. I feel silly now. Um, but the other thing that's going on is um, we just had like a solar eclipse. That's Did right. you hear about that? Yeah. Yeah. It was it's, like on the 8th of, uh, of March, a couple of days ago. We couldn't see it. We could, it wasn't observable here in the United States. That's was, right. I was excited for it when you see it on the list. I think we have one coming in 2017, right in a similar path as like the 2012 eclipse that we looked at. Oh, cool. It in seems that, like it's sort of time. in the same cycle. Or like it's sort of that same strip of area that it's going to be the uh, like the, the most concentrated area of eclipse. It's going to be uh, sort of really in the northwest again too. Yeah, That's cool. I think I'm they're projecting it a little bit further north this time. We need to do some more work on learning about the draconic cycle. That's like this, this weird cycle that sort of predicts when the solar eclipse or when eclipses are going to occur. It's interesting how, how it is. It's It's... Another one of those complicated cycles of the rhythm. It's like a, a tertiary cycle where there's two separate cycles that work independently. But then every so often, those two things interact. Like if you were to think about the minute hand and the second hand on a clock face, like right. they're two independent cycles. But at every 60 second mark, the second hand will pass over wherever position the minute hand is or the hour hand is. So it's kind of interesting to see how that works. But, uh, but that, I think, is kind of a similar way to explain what's going on with the draconic cycle and how that works. So it's cool. So we had the solar eclipse on March 8th, and that was only visible in Indonesia. And I think it was still, even at that, only like a partial eclipse, if I understood right. There's pictures of it that were put up on uh, like Sky and Tele- Telescope and other astronomy um, interest sites that are out there. It was neat though. It was cool to kind of get to see some some of the photos. That's the cool thing about now too is that we get to go see all the photos and all the imagery and stuff of different eclipses that are happening around the world. If you think about like solar eclipses in the past, you'd only really they happen frequently, let's say, but they happen only in certain parts of the world, and they're kind of important parts of um, of people's culture. Like there was one like noted, like on Easter, you know, like they're like part of like Jewish history and biblical history these like eclipses that happen. Oh, yeah, but those eclipses right. only happened over Israel at certain periods of time. So if we observed an eclipse, that wouldn't even be 
at the same time that they would be able to observe an eclipse. Yeah, that's interesting how that is. Yeah, it's really strange how it is. So, yeah, you think about that sometimes about the different historical events that would take place and that there was an eclipse that happened. That eclipse would have only been observable to them. Or if we see an eclipse here in the Northern Hemisphere, a lot of times they try and tie that to a prophecy that would have been made for Middle Eastern cultures. And I kind of speculate sometimes that maybe that wouldn't have been what they were even able to observe. So it probably wouldn't matter too much. Um, But they did also have a pretty good understanding as soon as I think, I think, early Hebrew culture understood the draconic cycle. They seem to make note of the, um, the cycle of the, because there's a long cycle, there's a short cycle and a long cycle of eclipses that happens, especially with lunar eclipses because they're more frequent because the moon goes around us more often. Right. So we have more opportunity for uh, a lunar year is 30 days, whereas our year is a whole year, you know? So, <laughs> so we only have like two opportunities in the solar year for us to get an eclipse, like when we're in the right position. But it seems like we have, what, like, well, more, at least with the lunar eclipse. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting how it works. So we have the solar eclipse visible over Indonesia. We have a lunar eclipse coming up. Did you hear about that? I had only heard a little bit uh, of what you told me. When is that coming up? Yeah, so I think it's, oh shoot, I think it's like the 22nd. I think I have the wrong day. Maybe that's the right day. Sometime yeah, in the next. There's a lunar eclipse coming up in less than a week and i don't know what time it is <laughs> it's only visible on the west coast of the united states uh it's going to be a much it's it's not a total lunar eclipse it's a lesser eclipse i think it's a penumbra does that sound right that's kind uh, of the uh, the light sure. mid shadow on the surface of uh, of the sun but yeah i think so on it's only going to be visible on the west coast and then i think the rest of it's going to be over like the pacific ocean and we wouldn't really be able to see it or it'll be during the day I'm not sure how that would work. No, it'll be opposition. So, or uh, hmm. eclipses are so strange. So, I think we're going to be able to see it right as like the sun would be setting on the west coast. This probably we'll see. So, it's supposed to be, I think, starting around 4:37 in the morning, and then it'll last uh, for a short period of time. But I think it's only going to be darkening on like the lower side of the moon. Now, it's interesting because we've just gotten out of a tetrad, which I think is a cycle of four total lunar eclipses back to back to back to back which is cool so it's like spring fall spring and fall that is really cool that there's an eclipse yeah and then there's so this is what we should search we should do a total we should do a big episode on eclipses that'd be fun (laughs) we should (laughs) we gotta do it for the lunar eclipse coming up yeah we should try and understand this uh this draconic cycle a little better so that we can explain it but this tetrad thing is what we just finished up so that's where we had over the last two years I remember, I remember with you, yeah, we had one in April. I think you were in Corvallis for, we had another one in fall and then another one in like March last year. And then another one in September this last, last, in 2015. And now we're out of that cycle. And now we have this one come by, but it's a, it's not a total lunar eclipse. It's just a partial eclipse that we'll be able to see and only on the West coast. So I don't know. It'll be, uh, be kind of cool. The other change that just happened, um, was daylight savings time. How are you feeling about the switch, Marina? You know, I think this might actually be the first year that it's been hard for me. It seems hard <laughs> right now. Why. The spring forward is seeming hard right now. I think as I had to get up earlier. It's also, it's, it's always a couple days of disorientation, like about a it week. Is. And then I stop remembering that I'm supposed to remember that it's not the, the right time anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I was getting out of like work today and I was like, ah, it's like early. It's like four o'clock right now. 
or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like strange. So you, but your body still kind of knows what time it is by the light. Mm-hmm. And, but it, I'm so happy though that it's like artificially, at least by daylight savings time, but it's staying out late, lighter. It's going to give us more opportunity to do stuff in the evening with light out. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm really excited for the change as hard as it's been for me the last couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about this though, like and I thought about it before. It's strange because we do daylight savings time now, which is near the equinox, near the time that the days are the closest, day and night time is the closest together. You know how Oh, that, yeah, that's right. How that is, yeah. And then everybody sort of complains and is upset about daylight savings time, how artificial it is, how confusing it is. Granted, it's super confusing. We do it. But on the 11th, we just did it. Europe does it on the 27th of March. Mexico does it on like the 8th of April. There's all these different times that each country does it. There's no international standard. Arizona doesn't do it. That's right. (laughs) Arizona doesn't do it at all. There's all sorts of things that that seem kind of strange in in that aspect. So yes, really twisted system. But there is like some interest to it that kind of goes back to the way that the world and the cycle works and how long the days are and the seasons and stuff. And so I was thinking about it a little bit in this way. So we had the change take place, the daylight savings change, the spring forward fall back system near the equinoxes of the year. And that's when the day and night period is the closest to the same 12 hour period. But in the summertime, let's say the daytime is the majority of the 24 hour day. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, do you remember, like, we get up for sunrise, and it's maybe f- just after four o'clock in right, late yeah. June, and we already see like a good bit of so twilight pretty, of like, yeah, of early bright, morning yeah. light out in the morning. Yeah, in the morning sky, like you can barely see stars anymore, and that's a just after four o'clock. And so, that's the time that you might think about how valuable the daylight savings time system is for us, or at least how it sort sort of corrects how the day would function for people in you know their their day-to-day life but if we were to roll that hour back in june that four o'clock sunrise time that would be 3 a.m that the sun would be coming up yeah it wouldn't wouldn't make sense for the way we try to do things right and so yeah so i think that's that's what i started noticing about is like it's sort of to correct like the nighttime hours for our calendar day to be a little bit more functional for the people and like the working culture that is there right so that there isn't as big of a swing from from 4 a.m work time starts to in the winter time what ends up being like 9 a.m because of just such a huge swing in the daylight hours that are available which is it's just really strange that's why the winter time system is there too if we were to think about how dark it is um like in the morning i think like it wouldn't get light out until oh, about yeah, nine o'clock because we roll really back light. the hours yeah so it barely gets light out you know, at like, I think it's like 7.40. So that would be like an 8.40 a.m. sunrise and a 3.30 a.m. sunrise if we were to like change it around again. And so it's just too much of a variance. It's almost like a whole day off. Or, you know, yeah. like it starts to feel like a little bit too much at the wide ends at the solstice of the year. And so I think that's why, or part of the system that doesn't seem to make as much sense to people when they're, they're not thinking about the daylight savings time system. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I don't know, just a weird little perspective I had on it. But yeah, I'm having a hard time getting used to the spring forward this time. <laughs> um, Jupiter is at opposition. So I was noticing this the other day when we were out. We, the sun had just gone down. It was close to a new moon right after that Indonesian solar eclipse. And we looked out onto the eastern horizon and we see Jupiter coming up right 
right after dusk, right after the sun goes down, which means that Jupiter's now at opposition that's directly across 180 degrees from the sun on the ecliptic line of stars in the, uh, in the sky. And so now that Jupiter's there, we're going to be able to see it starting right at sunset, traveling across the night sky. It's going to be one of the best times for observations of it. When it's in opposition to us, I think that's when we, well, I think it's just when we have the opportunity for the darkest skies. We can get the sun all the way on the far side of the earth for, from us. So we don't have to deal with any twilight like if it was in the morning. So it makes Venus and Mercury kind of notoriously difficult to observe, at least through a telescope or to make, um, to make night sky observations of, because it's hard to see either of those two objects in a truly dark sky. There's always some amount of twilight. The sun's always just about to come up. But for us in this position with Jupiter at opposition, and then soon later in the year when Mars is at opposition, I think at the end of May, we're going to be able to make some really good observations of those two planets. That's really cool. I think that, uh, yeah, it'll be a good time to break out the telescope again. Yeah, definitely break out the telescope. Even if you have good binoculars, I understand that you can throw them up. If you lean like on a fence post or something, if you can steady them. Uh, when you're making your observation of Jupiter, you can make out the, uh, the four um, observable moons. It's That's pretty cool. pretty cool with binoculars. Yeah, even with binoculars, you can do it. Um, I think like 10 by 50s or something could probably pull it off. I don't think we have any of those. We'll definitely pull out the telescope and see if we can get some good, clear observations in. It'd be really fun. Yeah. We should definitely test cool. it out. Oh, and then the other thing. So we, we'd been on hiatus. We'd on, been on vacation. We traveled down to Hawaii. And I don't think I'd been that far. I hadn't been that far south before. That was the first time that I'd got to observe Canopus. It was pretty exciting. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Brightest star in the Southern Hemisphere, not the brightest star in the sky. That's still the second serious. second brightest star in the sky. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bright one, isn't it? It was yeah. like pretty cool to get to see. I thought it was really fun. Um, yeah. It was really interesting um, seeing the sky that we know. Yeah. And then the small addition to the sky that we don't yeah, normally see. Yeah, it's really neat. Southern hemisphere stars. Noticing like where that line is in the sky. Cause Canopus is just barely out of our sight. Is it what seems I was like noticing. It's just, barely out of our like sight. It's just over the horizon. I hear you can see can it see. from Southern Texas. From South Texas, you can see Canopus on the, uh, on the horizon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so make it to I think Texas it's the only sometime. place in the U.S. that uh, that you can see Canopus. When we were in the airplane, when we were flying back, we were landed in San Francisco, and I noticed that you could see out the window of the airplane, even when we were in the air, coming right into San Francisco, right there, you could still see Canopus just on the horizon line. Right. And then as we dipped down uh, lower in elevation and dropped, uh, dropped down closer to the earth to land, then it sat. But it's right there. Like if you pop up in an airplane... Right over San Francisco, you can still see Canopus. Down in, in Hawaii, it was it was a pretty good bit up into the sky. It was, yeah. It was yeah. cool to observe it. Yeah, it was so fun. But yeah, it was cool. And it's it's interesting kind of seeing its relationship to the other bright stars that are all in that section there. Like we talked about before, like with uh, with Sirius being just right up from that, and then Procyon being right up from that, Castor and Pollux being there, Rigel being there, and Orion, all the, and then what Capella from that. Those are mm -hmm. all those icy white uh, main sequence stars, those blue giants that are out there. Well, I don't know if they're blue giants. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> they are blue, supermassive stars that are burning super hot in comparison to our sun. I think a, I think a main sequence star is all like three solar masses and above. 
Like most stars are bigger than our sun and most stars burn hotter right now than our sun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they're more massive. Our star is actually like a little bit smaller. Interesting how it goes. And our star will last longer too because it's like a slower burning. It's like how it's like fuel efficiency on a four banger, like a four cylinder engine. It's going to get better miles Mm -hmm. than a V8. So these blue uh, main sequence super giants like Rigel or something, those are like the V8s. And then like the, our sun's kind of like a like a little two stroke, or something <laughs> like that. So it's going to kick around for. I think that's why we get like ten billion years out of our star as an engine, and then these other ones might only get four or five billion years, uh, because they're just burning through their fuel so much faster because they're at a higher temperature because they're more massive. It's really strange. And so those are the stars that we're going to see go do more interesting stuff. Our star kind of starts to fade out. It turns into like a a brown giant. Like as it expands, <laughs> it gets it gets so cold that it starts to turn really dim. You know that kind of ah, scale, like it's sort of like you look at the, the embers of a coal that you're burning. It's kind of that low dim light, and right. then it's like orange, and then kind of that bright red, and then it turns to like, or excuse me, red to orange to yellow to white as it gets white hot, right. and then it, it actually starts pushing through the spectrum, and then goes to uh, blue. To blue, yeah, which is cool. That's why we see blue stars up in the sky. And then when we see red stars or orange stars, like if we look at Antares or if we look at Betelgeuse or Aldebaran, those are the stars that are like super, like red giants or orange giants, maybe Aldebaran would be considered. But I think they're both red giants or all three of those that I mentioned are red giants. And that's when the star expands and diffuses its temperature across a much larger surface area. And then so now that bright blue drops in temperature and in spectrum it shows up as red. Really interesting? interesting how yeah. that happens. Yeah, really, really strange how stars get their color, how they push out their spectrum, and how we get to observe it. It's such a trippy thing. But it's really cool. But it was it's super cool getting to see Canopus uh, down in the Southern Hemisphere. That was really fun. We should talk about a few of the other things that we got to saw, see. I think for like that sunrise at Haleakala, we got to see part of Centaurus, like, like with Alpha Centauri. It's below Scorpio. I right. think we saw it in the morning sky. We should look it up, see what stars there were, but we definitely yeah. observed it. It was cool getting to see those Southern Hemisphere stars. It was very cool. <laughs> Pretty fun stuff. But I think that's uh, just about everything for this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. On behalf of Marina Hansen, my name is Billy Newman, and thank you guys very much for listening.